0: You are now listening to a Fit Plus Love production. Hello. Happy Monday. Welcome to Monday Moves, the Marnie on the Move podcast's weekly drop of tips, advice, insight, ideas, hosted by me, Marnie Salop, solo. Today, I'm talking about running shoes, what you need to know if you're just getting started and buying your first pair, or if you're a seasoned runner or triathlete building your shoe quiver and looking to add some new high-tech or carbon-plated gems to your mix. I'm covering it all. As you know, I've been personally testing lots of running shoes for the Money on the Move podcast with our ambassador team for the past two years as part of our quarterly gear roundups. In addition, I've got 14 years of running and racing under my belt. I have tried a lot of running shoes and have done it all from simply buying a pair because I like the way they look, which is not a great idea, to running on a treadmill at my local run shop for a tread analysis, going to the ultra-high-tech Run Lab at Columbia Run Lab, founded by Colleen Brout, who is also a podcast guest, to recently going to Fleet Feet and trying out Volumental, which is a combo of a 3D scan and AI. I also always listen to my podcast guests talk to lots of coaches, and I'm pretty well-versed on the topic. I am not, however, a physiologist or a physical therapist, so if you need that level of expertise, I'm happy to recommend some. For my beginners, if you're just getting started, it is really important to do a gait analysis. Like I said, most likely you can go to your local running shop and they can either have you run on a treadmill, do the volumental test. If you don't have this at your local running shop, you could use your smartphone to take a few different videos from different angles and send it to a local running coach. And I learned that from Colleen Bruff on episode 114. The reason for knowing your gait is you need to establish whether you are going to be wearing a neutral or stability shoe. You need to know if you overpronate, if you have a high arch, a low arch, These are all really important for you to know when buying a pair of shoes to avoid injury and to be comfortable. Your shoes should offer stability as support, not as overcorrection. If you overpronate, you may want a shoe that has more stabilizing features. How much support do you actually need? This is part of the gait analysis. It looks at how your foot is hitting the ground when you run. Pronation is a natural way that your foot rolls inward when it strikes the ground and then propels forward. And there are three different types of pronation. There's neutral pronation, which is when your foot rolls inward, a typical amount, and it helps you absorb impact and relieves pressure on your knees and joints. It's a normal trait. Overpronation is when your foot rolls inward a lot. Overpronators may want a stability or motion control shoe. Supination is when your foot rolls outward when it hits the ground. But if your foot does supinate, you may want shoes with a lot more cushion and flexibility. So once you establish your gait, there are a few types of support, neutral, stability, and motion control. Neutral shoes, which is what I wear, work for mild pronators and they're best for neutral runners. Stability shoes, these shoes have stability devices that help control pronation. They often have guide rules which control side-to-side motion, and they're good for runners who have a mild to moderate overpronation. Motion control shoes, these are the most stable of all running shoes to counter moderate or severe overpronation. They are less common and most likely to be carried in specialty running shoes stores. I highly suggest you do this gait analysis in some way or form to figure out if you're going to need a stability shoe, a neutral shoe, or a motion control shoe. The other thing to think about is whether or not you will need an insole. And this has a lot to do with the arch of your foot. And that is something that you definitely need an expert to analyze and look at. I've had a lot of people use this if they have plantar fasciitis and even go to the point of getting custom orthotics for running. All right, for my seasoned runners and triathletes looking to build out your shoe quiver, you may need to consider all of the above, of course, but then it comes down to what distance will you be running in these shoes? Are you going for speed, for endurance? Is this your race shoe? Is it an everyday training shoe? So we're going to talk about drop, cushion, and carbon-plated shoes. A few fun things to consider. The drop is the difference in height between your heel and the ball of your foot when standing in the shoe. It's the difference in cushioning between the heel and the toe of the shoe, and it's measured in millimeters. Changing your drop distributes forces differently to the foot and the leg and can alter your stride. So it's really important to pick a shoe that feels right throughout the stride from the moment your foot hits the ground to your toe coming off the ground and reduces stress on any weak parts of your foot. A traditional running shoe usually has a heel drop of about 10 millimeters or higher. It offers lots of cushion in the heel and promotes landing first on the heel as the foot moves through its motion. For example, Brooks Ghosts that I love and have, they are a 12 millimeter drop. And my other favorite shoe by Hoka, the Mach 5 is a five millimeter drop. Totally different shoes. I like them both. By contrast, a zero-drop shoe means that there's an equal amount of cushioning under the heel and the toe. The lower the drop, the more the shoe will help promote a midfoot strike, considered by many to have a lower impact stride than a heel strike. I am definitely a heel striker, but I have found that my form is better in a lower drop at shorter distances. If I'm going to do a half marathon or a marathon, I definitely consider using a higher drop because I'm on my foot longer and my legs get tired and my form changes. Also, the lower the drop, the more your Achilles tendon will have to work. For those of you used to a traditional shoe, a 10 millimeter drop, a 12 millimeter drop, getting into a lower drop shoe, you may need to slowly ease into that and start with less mileage and build up. There may be an adjustment period. Next, we're going to talk about cushion. And now, just so you know, the heel drop and the cushion are independent of each other. So it's possible to find super cushioned shoes that have a zero or low drop. When it comes to cushion, it really is personal. How much cushion do you want? So for me, it depends on the shoe. If it's really cushiony, it has to be light. It can't be heavy. I love the Saucony Endorphin Pro 3, which has an eight millimeter drop. It's a 39.5 31.5 millimeter stack which is the cushion and it's super light at 6.2 ounces so it's kind of the perfect shoe and it also has a carbon plate so we're talking about that later. I also really like the Brooks Hyperion Max another 8 millimeter shoe with a thick cushion stack and weighing in at 6.7 ounces. When it comes to cushioning there's three different types of cushioning. The heel cushioning the forefoot cushioning and the midfoot cushioning heel cushioning is the midsole material designed to minimize the impact of shock of a heel strike brands use a variety of materials and placement can be different on each shoe you'll likely want to find a balance between cushioning stability and ground feel when you do a test run you should note how the shoe is touching down Next up, forefoot cushioning, which is designed to reduce the impact of the largest forces of your stride that occur at the front of the foot during loading and push-off. This is where the words energy return come into play, and they can both protect and propel your foot. So pay attention to the shoe's responsiveness. Look for a balance between cushioning comfort and a firm push-off platform then there is the midsole and this really determines the ride that is going to be provided by your shoes which is determined by both cushioning and the firmness of the foam and then the thickness of the foam also called the stack height and that is the material between your feet and the ground to make the shoe bend like your foot bends many shoes use flex grooves under the ball of the foot turning the toe up called toe spring or cutting away the midsole into a rocker pattern, which also allows the foot to roll through the stride. Small shifts in the location or angle can really change the mechanics and feel, and what degree of flex works best for your stride as it changes with speed. This material in the midsole, it's usually a type of foam, typically EVA or polyurethane, that helps absorb the impact as your feet strike the ground. So you may have heard of rocker style midsoles and they tend to have a more aggressive toe spring to facilitate a quick forward roll through the gait cycle. The overall idea is to find a shoe that flexes or rolls with the way your foot wants to move at the place for which you will be using the shoes. So when it comes to cushion there are people that are maximalists and want this like max cushion midsole to people who, who are minimalists and want no cushion and how thick or firm the midsoles below your feet, it's really a matter of personal preference. For me, I am enjoying these new super cushiony light shoes with carbon plates because it's a soft ride and less impact on my calves, but I'm going really fast and the shoes are very light. Some people prefer no cushion. The amount of cushion depends on your running style. I'm going to break down the types of cushion. Maximum cushion. These maximalist shoes offer super thick padding in the midsoles. I love them. Runners may prefer the comfort of thicker, softer foam underfoot when running long distances or multi-day races. So, but it's not for everyone. Let me break down the many layers of cushioning. There's the maximum cushion, the moderate cushion, the minimalist cushion, and the barefoot shoes. So as I just mentioned, I am a big fan of the maximalist shoes with super thick padding in the midsole. I definitely am using them for shorter distances because I'm just testing it out, but I could definitely see it being a marathon or half marathon shoe. It really just depends on the drop for me with the cushion because those two things are totally different. As I just mentioned, I want to say that Hoka was one of the first companies to create this kind of cushion shoe back in 2010 with their Maffet. And I hope I'm not saying it wrong, which was a running shoe that had three times the amount of cushioning of other running shoes on the market. But today they have the Hoka Clifton, The Bondi, which is a super thick sole, Maximal Cushion. Also, Brooks Glycerin is Maximal Cushion and the On Cloud Monster. Those are just a few shoes that I know off the top of my head are maximum Cushion. And I would also say the Saucony Endorphin Pro. The Maximalist shoes offer thick padding at the midsoles. Runners may prefer the comfort of thicker, softer foam underfoot when running long distances or if you're running every day. But super foam cushions aren't for everyone. I am a big fan of the maximum cushion shoe as long as it's lightweight and not a big drop. So eight millimeters is perfect for me. Then there's the moderate cushion shoe, which seems to be the shoes that I'm doing the longer distances in right now. And those are shoes with moderate cushion that are sort of in between the super soft comfort of the big cushion and then, like the no-cushion shoes, it seems that all the shoes I really like running in are moderate cushion: Brooks Ghost, Mach Five, Saucony Pellegrine, the Endorphin Pro. Although I think those might be max, but I, they might be they might walk the line. I think I'm definitely a moderate cushion long-distance runner, but I haven't tried the maximum cushion yet. I'm just sort of getting into it. Minimal cushion are shoes with minimal amounts of cushioning at the midsoles and are favored by runners who really wanna feel connected to the ground beneath them. There's definitely a cult of people who are really into these minimalist shoes and they are really, they say they mimic your natural gait and that probably is true. Those are the Brooks Hyperion Tempos. Ultra makes a lot of shoes that are minimalist cushion, but I'm not really dialed into that brand. And then it wouldn't be a conversation about cushioning without mentioning barefoot running and barefoot shoes, which have as little as three to four millimeters of shoe between the foot and the ground and provide no arch or stability features. Also, since we're talking about stack height, some shoes with a super high stack have been outlawed. And those shoes have a thickness of greater than 40 millimeters and they are prohibited and will result in race disqualification. I understand this is... In the world of triathlon, a lot of people ask me, How long do your running shoes last? And that, I've asked that question to a lot of coaches. And the general census is that a pair of running shoes should last between 400 to 500 miles of running or three to four months for regular runners. I have an Excel spreadsheet with all of my shoes in it and I log the miles. In the Excel spreadsheet, you do not need to be as crazy as me, but I do keep track of all my shoes and I know a lot of runners do because it is really important not to run past a certain mileage in your shoes because they lose all the things that you are depending on them for. And it wouldn't be a conversation about running shoes unless we talked about carbon-plated running shoes. A lot of people ask, is it worth getting a carbon-plated running shoe? And the answer is, if you want to run fast and efficiently, yes, it is. It is totally worth it. Of course, they are not for everyone. And you can certainly run fast without them. They just make it easier, more comfy, and there's less fatigue in your lower legs compared to traditional running shoes when you're... Cranking up the fast miles. Almost every running shoe brand offers a carbon plated shoe at this point. One thing I'm seeing is you shouldn't log as many miles as you would in other shoes because they wear out more quickly. You might want to invest in two pairs one for race day and one for one or two times a week. I also read that it's not great to run in them every day, depending on your stride, of course. The carbon fiber plate is rigid and it could have a negative effect if overused. I do not have any science behind this, but with all of this said, I am going to do a much deeper dive into the topic of running shoes, gait, speed, and carbon and bring some industry pros on to the podcast. But for now, I just wanted to answer some questions listeners have been asking me at a very base level, at a higher level knowing what I know based on running in these shoes and doing all the research about the shoes and generally the scope of my knowledge. I hope you enjoyed today's Monday Moves. Hit me up on direct message if you have any questions on Instagram. Feel free to email us at marnionthemove1 at gmail.com and leave us a review on Apple. It's easy. Head over to wherever you get your podcasts on Apple click on the five stars click on leave a review and tell us what you're listening to and what you love feel free to share this conversation on your social channels and tag us we'll tag you back have an awesome week thanks again for tuning in to marnie on the move if you like what you hear leave us a five-star review in apple podcasts follow us on social at marnie on the move for a